Let's open up Matthew chapter 20. We're going to make it through this winter, and we're also going to make it through the book of Matthew. But what a, what a wonderful book it is. I'm just having so much fun and, and, uh, and so, uh, really being so challenged by the gospel of Matthew. It's just so powerful. And uh, so I hope you don't mind that I've been taking my time um, through the last, uh, I don't know how long it's been, but don't speak up, please. <laughs> um, last time we looked at this idea about serving God, that it's not about the rewards, it's not a point system, right? It's, it's not about counting the Cheerios, it's all about loving Him and serving Him for what He's done for us. That's the bottom line. That's what it's all about. It's about His grace. And there's no contract that we sign, you know, that we need to get this and this and this before we'll, you know, we'll play. It's not like a major, you know, sports team where they got, you know, they got agents and, you know, they got to get the contract and they got to get so much money before they'll play and show everybody how wonderful they are. They're not all like that. But there's certainly some like that. True? Just trust Him. Just trust Him and serve. Let's not be seen, you know, like those were in the parable. They're standing around doing nothing, waiting to be asked. Let's open our eyes and look for the gaps and find our place in the body. It's never too late. And leave the rewards up to Him. It's not about the rewards. It's not for rewards. It's just for the joy of serving. We need to find that. We're working on making opportunities clear. We're going to get, you know, put some stuff up on a board somewhere too, you know, but just to mention a few more children's ministry. There's always needs, the helpers and teachers, and you can see Justin. Radio ministry, there's some needs there. With, with, uh, see Tony about that. Cleaning, we have a cleaning team. You can see Paula about that. Construction team, you can see Alex. Ushers and greeters, Alex as well. Hospitality and missions. There's just a lot of different things, and these are just some. But what is it that, where is it God would want you just to put some effort out, put something in? Today, we're going to look at the cross, and we're going to talk a little bit more about serving. This passage here is the third prediction of Jesus' suffering in Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. And, and you ask, well, why does he keep repeating this? Why do they keep repeating over and over? Why does Jesus keep saying this? And the real reason is, for you and for me, that it is the only hope. And Jesus knew that. For you and I, the cross is the only hope. The resurrection is the only hope that we have. There is no other way, and Jesus knew that. I don't think they did. And I'm not sure sometimes that you and I really know that. That we really understand that there is no way, there is no hope, there is nothing else besides the fact of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. To deal with our sin and to deal with the, the death that we all surely must face. The first time he brought it up, if you recall, back in chapter 16, uh, you remember what happened back there? Uh, Peter took Jesus aside, right? And it says he began to rebuke him. I mean, that's the scary thought anyway, somebody rebuking Jesus. But Peter, he began to rebuke Jesus the second time in chapter 17, it says the disciples were filled with grief. And I think part of that is because they didn't, they didn't hear the part about the resurrection. They heard a part about Jesus' suffering and, 
and, and that, but they didn't hear the part about the resurrection. They go together, and we must always understand they go together. The resurrection is what kind of lifts us up. It was just about Jesus being dead in a tomb. What kind of hope is that? That is depressing. That is morbid. That is not going to do much for us. They were filled with grief the second time you heard it, but they missed that part about the resurrection. There's something about the resurrection that, that needs to fill our very souls. Let's look at verse 17, chapter 20. Now, as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside and he said to them, we are going up to Jerusalem. They were heading up to Jerusalem. Now, this is we're getting near the end of the gospel and they're marching and Jesus is marching resolutely towards Jerusalem where he would be crucified. The time is close. And notice they say they they were going up to Jerusalem. It's always up to Jerusalem, always. No matter where you are in the country, you're always going up to Jerusalem. It's, it is built up, uh, you know, the elevation goes up, but I think even spiritually, this is where it was all uh, going to, to happen. But I just, it, it always strikes me when I see these words that, that Jesus took these 12 disciples aside and he spent some time with, just with them. And that, I always see that and I always think about that, that, that there's something in discipleship about us being aside with Jesus. It's great being here, and don't, don't get me wrong, I, I, you know, I know that God has given us this place, and God has, has put us together in a lot of different ways, but there's also very, something very crucial and important about you being aside with Him, where you're spending time with Him, in His Word, in prayer. He took them aside, and He began to talk to them about this, and, and where we come, and we understand what He's saying. In Acts chapter 4, it says, They saw the courage of Peter and John. They realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, and they were astonished. But they took note, it says, that these men had been with Jesus. There's something that when you and I spend time with Jesus, people can see it. There's something different. It wasn't written all over them. It's not, again, it's not a reward system. It's not a point system, you know, where you're counting up the minutes, you're tallying. You've got a little marker in your Bible. Well, I spent seven and a half minutes today. Uh, You know, the next day it's 23 minutes, and, and we've got this... It's not like that. It's not like, you know, it's a burden. It's not like it's something we have to do. It's something that, that, that He wants and that we should want where we spend. We get aside with Him, and, and it, it changes us from the inside out. Are we spending time aside with Him, apart with Him? I heard on the radio the other day Charles Stanley talking about his grandfather who had like a sixth grade education, but he was a, a spiritually... Uh, powerful, and, and uh, it was because he spent time with Jesus, because he knew Jesus, he knew Jesus, and he knew the Word of God, and he spent time there. It's not about going to seminary or Bible college or, or doing all these things. It's about, about being with him. Verse 17, again, he says, we're going up to Jerusalem, verse 18, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will turn him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And on the third day, he will be raised to life. It says that he would be betrayed. And we know the rest of the story, don't we? Who is he betrayed by? By Judas, by one of his very own. 
He was betrayed. He was condemned by the religious establishment, those that were supposed to be leading the nation spiritually were the ones that led, that condemned Jesus Christ to die. It says they turned him over to the Gentiles, and at that point in time, only Rome could execute. And so they turned him over to the, the Roman authorities so that they could see him killed. It says that he was mocked. Luke adds he was in, that he would be insulted and he would be spit upon by these Roman soldiers. He would be flogged. And the flogging was a most severe punishment. Many, many died from just the flogging alone. They never made it to the crucifixion. Crucifixion, of course, being the Roman form of, of execution, of capital punishment. This time, here in his third prediction, he says, he mentions by name the cross, the crucifixion. He clearly mentions it. Acts, in Acts chapter 2, Peter preaching, he says that this man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. You see, when you step back and look at the whole picture, people were involved in it, but ultimately it was God giving his son his life, that, that you and I might have life. And on the third day, it says he'll be raised to life. Jesus could not be kept in the grave. The next thing that Peter said in that sermon in Acts chapter 2 was that God raised him, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. It was impossible for him to stay in that grave. Why? Because of who he was. This was no ordinary man. This was no, you know, good teacher. A wise man. This was God in the flesh, God Emmanuel with us, and, and defeating death by the very power of God. So we have the cross that pays the price, the blood that was shed that, that pays the price for our sin. We have the resurrection that defeats death, that you and I might have eternal life. Sin and death, there are, you know, we, we think we have problems just paying the bills or whatever. Our two big problems are sin and death. It boils all down, you boil it all down, our two problems are sin and death. What are we going to do with our sin? Because before Almighty God, we don't stand a chance because of our sin. So Jesus Christ came and He died on the cross to pay for our sin. As we'll see at the end of this section, He took our place and paid the price for my sin and for your sin. And then we see that he rose from the dead, defeating death, that we need not fear death. Sin and death are two main problems, and Jesus Christ there at the cross and the resurrection became the answer. Verse 20, moving on from there, it says, Then, then, see that? Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons, and kneeling down, asked a favor of him. Right then, what timing? They came to Jesus. He's just talking about the cross and the resurrection and all the things that he would have to go through. And then this mother comes, and we'll see that the timing is kind of a little bit off, I think. The mom comes, and basically what she's going to do is lobby for them, for a favor. I want a favor. And, and, and I don't know, I wondered about this. Did, did they ask her, 
Mom, can you come and help us out? Or did she say, listen, boys, I got an idea. And she volunteered. Mommy's a little bit involved here. Some figure her to be Salome. But some even possibly think that she could possibly be Mary's sister. Which would make her what? Jesus' aunt. It starts to get a little bit interesting, right? No pressure here. But Jesus, I am your aunt. And, you know, there's just a little favor. Now, you know, you know about favors and family. You know, we live in that kind of an area, right? I got a little favor I need to ask for you. <laughs> Jesus said, what is it that you want? And she said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. Now that's like asking for the very most that you could ask for, mm-hmm. right? Mommy's there. <laughs> these guys are fishermen, right? I mean, these, these guys are fishermen, tough guys, and there's their mommy there <laughs> trying to you know, put their case forward for this position. And really, these were the top positions of power and prestige. It, I, I read this in ancient royal courts. The persons chosen to sit at the right and left hands of the king were the most powerful people in the kingdom. Other than the king himself, those on the right and the left had the most power. So what is she asking for here? I want my, my boys. They, they need to be the top, the top dogs here in this, in this whole uh, enterprise. Can you kind of see the timing now? The timing between what Jesus was just talking about to now what she's talking about? How they kind of don't sort of go together? Do you get, do you get that at all? Mm-hmm. Are you awake today? Hello? Hello? You see the kind of thing Jesus... Is talking about a cross. And they're talking about what? Like crowns. Like this special place. We talked a few, a few weeks back in, in, in chapter 18 about, you know, they, they, excuse me, they've been arguing about, you know, who's the greatest. And this kind of thing is still continuing. It still comes up. Why? Because it's in us. You know, we want to be. Someone said this, though, about parents. They say parents naturally want to see their children promoted and honored. But this desire is dangerous if it causes them to lose sight of God's specific will for their children. God may have different work in mind, not as glamorous, but just as important. Thus, parents' desires for their children's advancement must be held in check as they pray that God's will be done in their children's lives. That God's will would be done. That's kind of hard, you know, raising kids. You want to, you, you know, you want them to be, a, you know, this or that. You know, the typical things you hear, what? Oh, I wish my Johnny would become a doctor. Or maybe he would become a lawyer. Right, I mean, it's like, this is what, you know, the world is telling us. I don't have to even tell you. But what does God want? That's the most important thing. My mother, (laughs) um, you're probably never going to get to meet my mother. Some of you have, but she just doesn't travel. She's 88. 
and uh, you know she just doesn't like getting on planes and all that stuff. But years and years ago, she, she you know I became a Christian, and she said, "Oh, that's great." And then I was talking about Bible college. She says, oh, "I want you to become a Greek Orthodox priest. That's what I. That's what I think you should be." I said, "What is that?" Like, I went to the Greek Orthodox Church, and nothing, I'm not trying to bash them or not, but, but can, you, can you picture me wearing a robe and a big hat? <sighs> oh. She came, you know, she'd, she'd come to our, you know, Calvary Chapel-style church. She says, you know, for her, it just like there wasn't any of the, kind of all the stuff, you know. But... She's kind of accepted it, I think. God's will be done for our kids. It's hard, though, because we watch them struggle. We watch them. We want them. We, 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 we're concerned for them. But I think partly we need to be careful, and they are showing us that we need to be careful. We're not thinking just like the world. What does the world say? What does the world want? He'd already talked to them about greatness, and, and now they're kind of like jumping on this thing. Well, you know, let's get there first. If we get there first, we've got a good chance we're going to get those spots. Come on, John. Okay, James, let's go. Mom? Jesus answered them, verse 22 says, You don't know what you are asking. You don't know what you are asking. I just had to stop there. You don't know what you're asking. And, you know, there's a lot of times we don't have a clue what we're asking. We really don't. I read this quote, and it really sums it up. They said, how often do our, pro our prayers evoke the same response from God? We hardly ever know what we're asking. We hardly ever know what we're asking. We pray. We think we know what we're praying. We really don't even understand what it is that we're praying he says, fortunately, God isn't bound by our requests, and he, he lovingly edits our prayers. So ask what you will today for yourself and for others. Keep praying, but remember that God will always do what is best. And thankfully, he doesn't always give us what we ask for. Thankfully, he knows what's best for you and me, and he's going to do the right thing no matter what we ask or how we ask it. And he'll work on us. But he says to these two boys, which they weren't boys, they were men. He says, can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? That's kind of a probing question for them. And, 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 and really, when you look back to what he had just been talking about, it was a cup of suffering, wasn't it? It was a cup of the cross, death. One commentator says to ask to reign with Jesus is to ask to suffer with him. We've got to be careful what we're asking for. This doesn't mean Cadillacs or Learjets, our own private island. Although we'll see that John gets pretty close to that. <laughs> this is the glory that comes through suffering, right? Oh, pastor, don't talk about suffering. We want to just hear about the resurrection. We want to just hear about heaven and the glory and the, and the, you know, the stuff that we can get, like you talked about a few weeks back, a hundredfold and all that stuff. That all comes together, you know. It all comes together. 
glory through suffering. But their answer was what? We can. Just simple. We can. Could they? Could they? Or is this bravado? We know. Yeah, not then they couldn't. In fact, we know they all got chased. They all split. They all left. But verse 23, Jesus said to them, You will indeed drink from my cup. You will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. They would indeed suffer persecution and hatred after they went through this period where they all kind of left and scattered. And James, as a matter of fact, one of these two sons was the first of the disciples who was martyred, killed for his faith. And John, the other, is the only one that, that as far as we know, lived a, a, you know, a full life in terms of living out his life. But he was exiled to an island called Patmos. But he says these words about it in the book of Revelation. He says, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. One tradition says, and it's, it's hard to know if this is true or not, that they tried to martyr him, martyr him by, by putting him in a, a vat of boiling oil, and they were unsuccessful. He survived. And so they put him off on this island by himself. We know God had a plan in that, of course. He wrote the book of Revelation as well as the Gospel of John and the letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. He wrote that book. Can you, in, can you drink the cup? And he says to them, you will indeed drink the cup. Each of us, each of us has a different calling, a different place, a different cup in life. You know, I know many of you, and I know some of you have got some pretty heavy cups to bear. Some of you had some pretty, some pretty serious suffering and trials in your lives. I know that. But I think we need to encourage one another on that journey through the suffering. If, if, if I would just get up here and tell you, and if anybody tries to do this, that, that you know what, uh, if you just do this and this and this, you will be free from suffering, no more suffering for you, uh, it, it would be a farce. We've got a cup. One person said this, each of their cups had its own difficulty. James's came with shocking suddenness, and John's with wearisome waiting. And each drank from Jesus' cup in his time. It says the gift of salvation is priceless and free, but the way of discipleship isn't painless or easy. And life will test our commitment to Christ. We each have different cups. We're not the same. We can't compare ourselves to other people. James, again, uh, James, you know, he, they, they took him and they killed him immediately. John's life, it, it, it was suffering over a much longer period of time. But it was why, as John said, it was, it was because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Because of our faith. And Jesus said in John 15... If, if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. 
But if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. And no servant is greater than his master. But back to our passage here, he, he tells, these, he tells these, uh, these three, really, that, that these places are chosen, they've been prepared by the Father, and, 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 and they weren't for Jesus. And again, you see that Jesus was submitting himself to the authority of who? Of the Father. He was under the authority of the Father, and, and someone pointed out this, that, that these kinds of rewards aren't granted as favors. It's not like a favor you can get. It's the plan of God. That's what, that's what we have to submit to. Verse 24, when the, when the ten heard about this, the other ten, they heard about this. It says they were indignant with the two brothers. They were indignant. I think they were probably saying, you know, can you believe that they did that? And then to themselves, they were saying, why didn't we think of that? Maybe, it maybe, maybe Jesus would have said yes to us. If we'd have got there first, and, and there's this whole thing of jealousy and, and rivalry, just like we've already seen, this selfish ambition, trying to get that top spot. Ambition, selfish ambition anyways, is talked about in the Bible, and, and we've got to be very careful about selfish ambition, and that's what we see here. Because we really don't know what we're asking, and selfish ambition can take over in our lives Paul said in Philippians, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Verse 25, uh, Jesus called them together. He says, well, let's have a little talk about this. And said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. That pretty much sums it all up, doesn't it? The last verse talks about the, the example of Jesus, but he says, if you want to be great, if you want to be first, become a servant. Not a celebrity, become a servant. One person said, somehow we can't seem to get it through our heads, can we? He says, you want to be great, then serve. Serve. You want to be great, serve. Greatness is determined by servanthood. He says, an attitude of life that freely attends to others' needs without expecting or demanding anything in return, an attitude of service brings true greatness in God's kingdom. That's hard for us to get that. It's hard for us to get that. Just be a servant. Make me a servant, humble and meek. Lord, let me, let me lift up those who are weak. Let the greatest prayer in my heart always has be, Lord, make me a servant, make me a servant today. Make me a servant. That's not, that's not our usual prayer, is it? Come on, let's be honest now. Compare that prayer with the list that we have. Lord, I need, I want. Lord, can you help me with? Lord, this is coming up. Lord, that's going to happen tomorrow. Lord, I'm, I'm, having, I'm struggling with this. I'm, it's all about what? About me. And over here, Lord, make me a servant. 
Make me a servant. You know, when we, when we get that kind of attitude and we actually follow through and God does that sort of thing in our lives, these things over here are not quite as important as, the, as we thought they were. It doesn't mean they always go away, but, but they're not as important when, we're, when, we're, when we're, we have a servant's heart and we're just willing to serve. I'm just, I just want to serve. I don't want to be famous. I don't want to have accolades. I don't want to get all the, the stuff that, that, that the world offers. just want to be a servant. God says, that's what's great. That's when God says, well done. Good and faithful what? Servant. When we have a servant's heart. We just need to, we just need to get on our knees, really, and, and just, just pray. But finally, in verse 28, we see the greatest example of that is Jesus. Jesus didn't come and ask us to do something that he did not do himself. He said, just as, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This great example of being a servant. There's parts of the book of Isaiah, they call them the, well, they, the, the sections of, of the servant, that, that God's servant would come and it would be a Messiah and he would come and be a servant. And that's what he did. It says also in Isaiah 53, he was a man of sorrows and familiar with sufferings. And that's what he did. It says he was also pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. And that's what he did. In John chapter 13, we know that he, that he washed the feet of the disciples. And that was the job for the lowest of the servants of the house, to wash the feet of the disciples. Jesus said, if I've done this, you call me teacher, master, Lord, do as I've done. Do as I've shown you. He showed us the way. But we also see at the very end of this verse that he gave his life as a ransom. He gave his life as a ransom. It wasn't taken from him. This word ransom means the price paid for release. That he gave his life to pay the price that we might be free. Notice it says that this ransom was for many and, and, and there's this idea of the substitution that he took our place, a ransom for you and for me, for many. You say, well, did he just die for many but not for all? It was available to all but not all would receive. To those who would receive and those who would believe. You see, there's a, a very very uh, bad doctrine called universalism which says that Jesus Christ died for everybody and everybody will be saved. But the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible says that you and I need to receive Him and believe in Him. Simple as that. Simple as that. So my question to you this morning is have you, have you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you believed in Him and trusted in Him? One day a man went to visit a church and he got there early and he parked his car and he got out and another car pulled up near the driver, near, near, <clears throat> near him and the driver got out and said, I always park there, you took my place. 
The visitor went inside for Sunday school and found an empty seat and sat down and a young lady from the church came up and said, that's my seat, you took my place. It's funny, you know, we kind of have our spots, don't we? The visitor was somewhat distressed by this rude welcome but said nothing and afterwards went into the sanctuary, sat down. Another member walked up and said, that's where I always sit. You took my place. And the visitor was even more troubled by this treatment, but still he said nothing. And later, as the congregation was praying for Christ to dwell among them, the visitor stood up, his appearance began to change, scars became visible on his hands and on his feet. And someone from the congregation noticed him and called out, what happened to you? And the visitor replied as his hat became a crown of thorns, I took your place. See, I took your place. A ransom paid the price, gave his life. Let's pray together, shall we?